Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good evening, everybody. Corey Griswold here with you on WGR Sports Radio 550. It is the nightcap. I will be with you here until 8 p.m., at which point uh, ESPN Radio takes over. Until T to green tomorrow morning, bright and early, 7 a.m., We'll see you. We, we will see all of you there. I will drive to your house and wake you up. Uh, if you would like to call and participate in the program, you're more than well uh, welcome to. But I do suggest you call during one of the commercial breaks because I can't answer the phones. I'm on the radio. I can't pick up the phone and talk to you to make sure you aren't going to cuss on the radio while I'm on the radio. Can't do that. So if you would like to uh, join me and talk uh, about sports, about other things, if you'd like, you can do that. 803-0550 is the telephone number. Please do so during the commercial breaks at 25 and 45, and we will get that done. But first, in this segment, I have a guest joining me, a rich fan of uh, Pro Wrestling Torch joining me on the hotline. I know Rich uh, from a while ago because him and I have done previous work together. Rich, I think you and I both did a podcast on Rogue One when it first came out, and then we also did a podcast on the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show, if I'm not mistaken. Is that what we did? Yes, we did, and we did that with uh, Liz, who is a wonderful woman, and uh, her knowledge of not only Victoria's Secret, but uh, the inner workings of the business side of things was very enlightening for me to kind of sit and learn while we did that. But yeah, I thank you for having me on, Corey. I love it. Uh, this is the first time I've been on WGR as a guest and not a random caller or someone listening in one of my old jobs uh, for Buffalo News to the John Murphy show and uh, then transcribing it, which was a whole different experience. Uh, but it, it but one that I learned a lot from, I'd say. I'm hoping uh, that uh, they keep they allow me to keep doing this until maybe perhaps the boss listens to when I'm just talking, not when a guest is on. That's usually the people who carry me, but like when I'm, when it's just me and doesn't get like frantically drive to the station to like pound his way into the booth and just rip me off from the microphone. So we will uh, talk together for now for as long as they allow us uh, to on the radio. I wanted to bring you on because you're from Pittsburgh and you also root for the Kansas city chiefs, which is weird. So I'm going to talk to you about the chiefs and, and then I'm going to talk to you about the Penguins. We'll start with the Chiefs. So they are, of course, seen here in Western New York as the primary roadblock to the Buffalo Bills getting to the next level. And honestly, the next level for them is the Super Bowl. They were already in the championship game last year. I wonder what the viewpoint from the Chiefs is and Chiefs fans and the Chiefs, you know, kind of like uh, multiverse. What is it? in their world right now from this past 
season, losing in the Super Bowl to you know the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but all but having a Super Bowl championship, uh, having a relatively you know a, a relatively stable team. Where are Chiefs fans right now in looking at the landscape of the NFL and looking at their own team? Well, I, I think there's two things there, and the timing of that is impeccable because I just retweeted someone from Arrowhead Pride uh, because uh, Scott Kazmar just put up the fact that Chiefs defensive end and at times not the nicest human being, Frank Clark, uh, got popped for a felony, which most likely will get played down or something like that, uh, but for possessing an Uzi in his car, which, unless you're in an 80s action movie, is not the smartest thing to do. Oh my God! Oh my yeah. goodness! And, and so the the argument for, for Scott, which I think is a fair argument to say, is you know this is it could be the thing that shoves the Chiefs from being a perennial contender to ten and seven for the next few years as things start to fall off and the wheels start to come apart. And uh, the the writer uh, from Arrowhead Pride, and I want to give him his props and make sure Kent Swanson uh, responded. The Chiefs went twelve and four with the worst defense in the league in Patrick Levon Mahone's first year as a starter. And so that's where he started, with the worst defense of the league. Anything from that point is crazy. So I think he's good. But you asked about the Chiefs and you asked about the Bills and everyone behind them. I think the biggest thing is this offseason, the Chiefs got their left tackle from the Ravens, who's seen as the 1B to the the Bills as 1A in terms of threats in the AFC. I'd say 1C is also the Browns, but we can open that door up if you like to. I think the Bills are are the Avengers, basically, waiting to top Thanos. And so that's a very precarious position to be in if you're the Chiefs. And as a Chiefs fan, and as a former Bills fan, I want to put that out there first. You know, uh, I want to thank Joe uh, from Buffalo Winds and all the fun times I had with him. And, uh, of course, Rob Quinn, and uh, he's now with uh, Cover, Cover One, but uh, back when I worked with him at USA Today. And so I look at the Bills with a very weird mindset because I can kind of – it's like the – TV shows where you think like the killer because you used to be the killer. <laughs> right. And so I, I look at the Bills, and I think they have everything they need, in, including for me the poetic addition of Emmanuel Sanders, the Steelers receiver that just won't ever retire, the forever man, and also the man who was overthrown by Jimmy Garoppolo in the prior Super Bowl. And so now the Bills have him with Allen, and I, I think while Allen could potentially overthrow him, I, I think – if Emmanuel Sanders has to grow seven inches to catch the ball in that situation again, he will do it. So I'm very scared of that. I think the Bills are probably in the AFC, like I said, the biggest threat. I think the Ravens are just behind them. And then right behind those guys are the Browns, who have a defense that's pretty scary. But if you recall prior to Mahomes getting knocked out in the divisional game, uh, most people didn't pay attention to the fact the Browns use tight ends, uh, you know, as a former Bills fan, I could say tight ends had never been a strong suit of coverage by the Bills, and the Chiefs even worse so. So when you have an offense based like the Browns where you can put three tight ends on the field at once, two of them are going to be open at some point. Yeah. And so that is a nuke, especially David Njoku. He is the thing as far as, like, the athletic tight end that makes everything work. And then the other two guys are more pivot, like they can get open five, seven yards downfield. And I I honestly feel like if the Chiefs lose sleep this year, it's going to be because of the Browns' 13 personnel and if the Bills get Zachers. I mean, I've never thought about the Bills getting Zacherts 
specifically because of the Chiefs. Like, it just never crossed my mind. So it's very interesting that you bring that up as being a weak spot for the Chiefs and maybe something to exploit. Because, honestly, Allen finding receivers has never really been a problem this year. Like, he he distributes the ball very well. And it was really when, you know, Chiefs uh, cornerbacks got extraordinarily physical um, and they couldn't protect Allen long enough for those guys to break out. And, you, you know, Beasley and Diggs were also hurt during the championship game, as we found out after the season, like we always find, find out with every team in the playoffs. Um, they couldn't do the thing that they were doing so well, which is like finding the open guy, because they had finally gotten to the point of wear and tear where it, they just, the guys who normally could get open, you'd, you'd either have one of Beasley or Diggs open, and they couldn't do it. So mm-hmm. having Ertz, as a solution to that, specifically against the Chiefs, it's a new thing for me to consider. I honestly did not really consider um, that angle for it. I'm glad you brought up the Ravens, too, because I feel like I don't know how how you can possibly sleep on a former MVP of the league, but I feel like Lamar Jackson is being slept on. Like, he's a really good athlete. He's a terrifying athlete. I was the most scared in the playoffs with the Bills playing Lamar Jackson, even after the Teron Johnson interception. It wasn't until Lamar Jackson got hurt that I felt like the Bills were safe, which is really unfortunate because, you know, Jackson is such a great athlete, and I hate to see a guy leave a game like that. And I know he was just terribly frustrated by it. You could just tell. But Jackson is is so dangerous and so good, both as a passer and as a runner, that you cannot count the Ravens out of any discussion of who could be a good team in the AFC. And I feel like they're being ignored a little bit. Yeah, and I think to your point with, uh, I'll start first with the, the tight end, and that's going to lead to the, the Ravens because they, they all kind of naturally flow into each other in a weird way. I think Earth helps the Bills because when the Chiefs are covering a tight end, if not the corners, like you mentioned, the grabby corners, which also doomed them in the Super Bowl because you had refs that were calling a – Super Bowl like a regular season game where the Chiefs have played their defense the entire year as if they're in the playoffs. And so that grabby, that physicality, you might call me once, you're not going to call me three times in a row. Well, they called them. And that kind of, the, the Chiefs also have a very volatile, you know, I love Tyron Matthew, but I think their leadership are very uh, emotional guys. And so when the refs did that, it became not too dissimilar from when uh, I, I coached high school football, the kids kind of get deflated. It's kind of like, well, if they're going to call that to call and everything, man, I'm done with this. And that, that's kind of, you saw that in the second half of the Super Bowl. But back to the Bills, when you run in with a tight end, and that's nothing against Dawson Knox, but if you put uh, Dan Sorensen, number 49 on the Chiefs, who uh, my buddy from the athletic, Nate, uh, will call uh, trick-or-treat, because you don't know if you're going to get him as a, uh, a a guy who gets the pick six or the interception at the end of that Bills Chiefs game in the regular season, or if he's going to be the guy that's going to let, uh, of all people, a retired ESPN uh, Monday Night Football <laughs> tight end catch what could have been the game-winning catch for the Raiders uh, as he shakes everyone else. And so those sorts of things are scary. And when you look at Lamar Jackson, just like with uh, Josh Allen and his mobility and his size, the speed of Lamar coupled with the fact he can use his tight end so well, the fact that he can, I, I think with the addition of Sammy Watkins and some of the other additions they made to wide receiver room for the Ravens, all he needs is just a couple of, a couple of solid concepts 
where he has the middle of the field open, a couple of sideline shots, and then when in doubt, throw it to one of those ridiculous cheat code running backs. They have 11 million of it seems every year, and it should keep them on schedule. Rich Fan joining us on uh, the West Her Hotline here from Pro Wrestling Torch Talking Chiefs. We'll talk uh, a little bit of hockey uh, in, a, in a quick second. Um, the Bills are uh, in a position where they are pretty much staying put with their personnel. They haven't really changed over all that much except for Emmanuel Sanders, which you and I have uh, mentioned uh, already. The rest of the AFC, though, is, I think, besides, honestly, maybe besides just um, the Chiefs and the Bills, are seeing a, it seemed a like there's a lot of change happening around them. There's, you know, a, a ton of new blood in the AFC East. There's two new quarterbacks, essentially, um, along with Tua uh, in Miami. And then you have um, the changeover that's going on in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. Um, it's kind of getting, it's going to be hard to get a feel for the AFC until I feel like the season gets started. Can we expect any one of these new quarterbacks to kind of take off? in a way that we have, you know, almost expected new quarterbacks to be able to take off guys like Justin Herbert, guys like Lamar Jackson, guys to just like hit the ground running and go. Are we expecting that from, uh, from the jets? Are we expecting that from, you know, if Cam Newton, uh, can't play, are we expecting that from Mac Jones? Are we expecting this from Trevor Lawrence? I think, uh, I guess going by division, honestly, uh, you to a Tua, I, I, I am more of a Tua appreciator but I know he's a safe guy and he doesn't want to make mistakes, so I don't know how that's going to work in Miami. Zach Wilson is interesting because uh, when you look at the Jets, they're running the Shanahan offense, and so it's going to be stretch boot, it's going to be zone, it's going to be very simple reads. It's going to be can he be Jimmy Garoppolo? Can he hit the open H-back? Can he hit the guy coming across on the second level maybe 10 to 12 yards down the field? It isn't going to be a lot of bombs away, and so I think that's bodes well for success, but the defense coupled with now having to face off with the bills who have kind of owned the division now and the, whatever happens with the Patriots, because I, I don't honestly, we, we talked about tight ends. The Patriots have the people's Republic of tight ends going on in new England right now. And I don't quite know how they're all going to work. Uh, and then when you look at the uh, Joe Burrow, I count him really, even though he got injured later in his rookie year, I think the, this next year, Joe Burrow is going to be the thing I look at in the AFC, as well as Trevor Lawrence. I love Urban Meyer and the way he runs football schematically. Football teams, different story. Can't speak on football teams in terms of like day-to-day and craziness that comes up with his college teams. Uh, but I think Trevor Lawrence is built for success. The question is going to be, is Jacksonville going to be equipped to rise to his level of talent? And I, I don't know if I can honestly make that answer. Uh, Carson Wentz, though, I think despite my issues seeing him in Philly, especially the last couple of years due to injury, Frank Reich, I, if he believes in him, I'm going to believe in Wentz until the wheels fall off. Yeah, I, you know, you you have more faith than I do. I, I believe in um, Frank Reich as a head coach, but, like, I don't believe in Carson Wentz anymore at all. Like, I, I'm just – I don't think the Colts are going to be very good because of it, and I don't think there's much that Reich can do about it. I don't think it's his fault, but, I mean, man, he, Carson Wentz was so bad last year. It was so bad. So bad. It's weird to think of, like, Josh Allen and as Patrick Mahomes as, like, the deans of AFC quarterbacks. Is that where we are right now because of how young everybody is in this in this conference? Yeah, 
And, and it's funny because you have Roethlisberger and Cam Newton as the how you do fellow kids guys <laughs> and Tannehill uh, walking around like, hey, we could we could roll with these young guns. I think Tannehill, I kind of did him a disservice because he's kind of sneakily in, in Tennessee. They built a nuke because you can run the ball, and when you get tired of running the ball, you throw it to either Brown or you throw it to uh, any other receiver that's going to be streaking down the field. It's a very simple but very – very frustrating offense to play against. And so, yeah, I think Allen and uh, Mahomes are kind of in a, a class by themselves. And Allen particularly, Allen has now entered, and I, I think you can you can speak to this a little bit, Corey. He's entered the Tom Brady in year three in New England stage where the rest of the division's falling around, around like falling apart around you, and you kind of you kind of just like if this is the, the wedding singer, he becomes John Lovitz, like they're losing their minds and I'm reaping all the benefits. Yeah. And so you have the quarterback in question in Miami. You have the veteran that's got to fend off Mac Jones in New England. You have Zach Wilson, and we don't know who he is and, and, and that question. But you know what Allen is? I hope, I mean, from year three, year three Allen was so transcendent, years one and two, uh, and i got to give credit to my dude, uh, Brayon on Twitter, one of the three OGs of the Bills Mafia. He is on there every day defending the fact that he's like, guys, years one and two happen. you got to accept that as fact to appreciate year three's just blooming. And I think year four and beyond, if he stays within where he is now, Allen is going to be a problem for the rest of the NFL. I think it would be extraordinarily greedy to want more growth out of Allen I I mean he had such a astronomical leap from year two to year three that to want more in year four is almost like I mean come on like he was a borderline MVP candidate uh, and you know and if he if Patrick if he's not playing in the same conference as Patrick Mahomes who's maybe one of the best generational talents since the guy he lost to in the Super Bowl like Allen's probably getting the votes for MVP I don't know where else Allen could go. Like at this point, I just want him to not fall back to where he was. I don't want him to get into old habits. I don't want him to make mistakes that he was making previously. I don't want him to lose the accuracy on the deep ball that he worked so hard to get in the off season. Like I'm, I'm hoping he doesn't, I hope he doesn't, you know, fall apart. That's what I'm looking for. Just a much different mentality to be in. Like the vibes were great for the bills last year. And honestly, like as we approach training camp, I'm in the, okay, can we hold this baby together kind of a thing. I mean, it's so hard to do in the NFL to just, you know, year after year after year be good. I just want the Bills to experience that of having that kind of stability. And they kept their coaches. And, like, you know this watching the Chiefs. Eric Bieniemy is still there, and Lord knows why. He has earned a shot at being a head coach in the NFL. At least with the Bills coordinators, they have both been head coaches, Leslie Frazier and Brian Dable. They've already had a kick at the can. But, like, what is the deal? Why why can't this guy get a job? Why can't Eric Bieniemy get out there and, and be a head coach in the league? What's going on, Rich? Is there something I don't know about in Kansas City? Like, what is happening here? <laughs> Well, okay, first thing I would say, and I, I just want to uh, get for some of the folks who know me, uh, like you would do off, off radio, uh, they're going to be very surprising, especially when I, I bring a positive Josh Allen comment out. But I think the one way Josh Allen can get better that will make him a nuke to the rest of the NFL 
is to get better at post-snap recognition because that entire AFC championship game was the Chiefs running traps that he had never seen before in terms of pre-snap, post-snap coverage. Uh, especially uh, you looking at first drive, we're on fourth down. Uh, Allen tried to, they had already converted the first fourth down. He's trying to convert again, or third down on that in that case. And the safety, Juan Thornhill, drops to the hole and then tails the running back out of the backfield and it's nearly intercepted. No human being would expect that to be the coverage. Hmm. And because you had a safety that was 10 yards off the ball that not only got into the backfield, but then began to trail the running back, meeting him on the way. So those sorts of things, or the interception he got where it was just pressure, a little grabbiness, tipped, and then now you have a second-year player running the other way. Those are things where, as he learns, just like with Mahomes, where he was on the shop with LeBron James and some other folks on HBO, he mentioned his second year going into almost the, you know, the year of his Super Bowl win. I, he wasn't reading coverages. He was just kind of guessing. And now he's starting to understand what coverages are. I think with Allen, if he can figure out some of those trap techniques and start realizing post-snap what they're doing, that's going to be a problem. And now to get to Eric, uh, the enemy, sleeping with the enemy, uh, if you go with the old boomerism uh, when he was a player, I, I got to be honest, if, if he was a, a lighter on the family guy skin tone scale, <laughs> I think he'd have a job by now. Uh, because when you look at it, the arguments have been, well, he had Patrick Mahomes, and so that's kind of a cheat code. Every other offensive coordinator within a year of being under Patrick Mahomes as quarterback got a job. Uh, you look at the fact that, well, he had a DUI uh, a couple of years ago when he was uh, a recruiting coordinator at Colorado and another one when he was a player at Colorado. I, I, you know, I would waste WGR's precious minutes going down the list of all the things we've had, including Matt Patricia and some of the allegations made about him prior to him being hired as the Detroit Lions head coach, amongst others in the NFL. So the, the, their loss, really, the, the NFL's loss is the Chiefs' gain because when you have the uh, – it's the fun fact that the Chiefs have a succession plan. Whenever, hopefully, Eric Bieniemy gets a job, Mike Kaska's been there as the passing game coordinator slash. Uh, the way the Chiefs set it up is they have Andy Reid, Bieniemy, and then they've had a couple of roles where they have a passing game slash research coordinator and then an offensive assistant. And the third and fourth positions essentially do what my dream job is, which is you just watch all of offensive football at every level from high school to pros, and anything that looks like it affects the defense, you write it down and we try to integrate it into our West Coast offense. Yeah, that's cool. So Andy Reid, if you look at Andy Reid's offense, like I have NFL pass, and I would recommend if you don't have NFL pass out there, I don't work for the NFL, get it. It's been during the pandemic a godsend because I can watch a football game on the treadmill for a half hour. You feel 40 minutes, you know, it's good. You can take a walk, you take a run, whatever you feel good with. But if you look at Andy Reid's offenses, like the Eagles in 2005, versus 2021, some of the concepts are the same, but in, even in 2005, he wasn't using shotgun because that messed up the steps for the West Coast offense. Yeah. Now, he had a, a three-year period where he had uh, Brad Childress and uh, uh, Alt from Nevada as consultants. I'm using air quotes as if you can see me. <laughs> and all they did was integrate spread and pistol concepts into his offense so that they could make this Frankenstein monster a fun. And so 
I think whenever he does move on, Kafka's going to move in, and I would argue probably, to my chagrin, Kafka would become offensive coordinator and get a head coaching job within a year after <laughs> that having happened. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the only thing with the enemy. I mean, it's, uh, it's I also think I was I'm gonna say, I, I wanted to say it's it's hard to make the case that it could be anything else. Because, like, he's been working with Andy Reid. It's not like he's coming from some place where, like, you know, don't know his qualities. Or, well, like, well, I don't know what kind of organization he can run. Let's like, no, he's been working with the best in the NFL. We know it here in Buffalo because that's where our coach came from, practically. Like, that's how we got to start. He got to start with Andy Reid. So, like, I don't know what else it could possibly be, honestly. Unless he's having interviews that are just so atomically bad. But, like, you never hear that. That is not something you hear coming out of these meetings with other NFL teams. Lord knows what it could possibly be except for the obvious thing. Yeah. Andy Reid's gotten to the point now when people ask about him, like into the playoff and now Super Bowl run of last year. Uh, you know, what do you think of Eric Bieniemy? And I, and he's like, listen, and he was just like, I, I let him run the offense. I, you know, for certain plays, I'm not he, he because Andy calls the plays, but he's like, I don't know what more I need to tell you. Week 17, he ran the entire game plan while preparing for interviews. I can't come out here every week and speak of higher praise of this man. Like, at this point, he essentially, you know, Andy Reid is a guy who has not won to kind of push back on the league or do things like that. At this point, he's like, it's on y'all. Yeah. I don't know what else I got to say. Yeah, and I mean, like, coaches, especially head coaches, like the good, the real good ones, they don't want guys to, be, to feel trapped. Like, they – are they keep on it's one of the ways that tradition works well in the NFL they remember their coaches helping them grow move on find better jobs rise up the ranks they want that to happen for the guys they have on their staffs too so like that's McDermott has been working hard I know for trying to get guys on the bills to get gigs Andy Reid does too that that's the expectation is that you hire these guys and help them. Yes, you want to win football games, but it's also with the expectation they will move on and be head coaches one day themselves or wherever their path takes them. Yeah, and that's the only way you do it. If you have a coach like that, and the thing I always appreciated about uh, McDermott is that when he left, it wasn't like it was under acrimonious terms. It was just, this isn't working out. I'm going to give you a reference to Ron Rivera, one of my other assistants, and maybe that works out for you and Carolina, which it clearly did. And that's the kind of guy Andy Reid is. And you see it's clearly the way McDermott is. There's never any way I, I've never seen, and maybe you can correct me, he's, nothing, he's done nothing but support both of his coordinators or uh, put any of his other guys in positions or women uh, now with assistance that they're bringing in in any position other than success. And I, and I think you have to respect that a coach like that didn't remember, doesn't forget that they didn't get there alone. Yeah. And, and that's all you can ask for. I mean, we've seen, no offense to him, but we've seen the Brian Billicks that have kind of like waxed philosophic about how awesome they are and then has to, with a chagrin, mention that they won their Super Bowl with the greatest defense in the history of mankind. You know, it's, it's, right. it's, it's a lot easier to be, because you know, I always think about it uh, just with, Forget football, just common human decency. It's a lot easier to be nice to people on the way up because they'll be nice to you on the way down. And a lot of times the coaches who think they're self-prescribed geniuses force themselves into this role of it was all me 
and then that never works out for you in the end. Nope. Rich Fan joining me on the WGR Western Hotline of uh, Pro uh, Wrestling Torch. Uh, I wanted to ask you about hockey a little bit because uh, uh, you have a kid, and I uh, see that you have him in uh, development camps all the time uh, and out and about in the Pittsburgh, uh, the general Pittsburgh Metroplex um, where you hang out. What, it, what do you see in terms of youth development out in Pittsburgh? Because, I mean, obviously I'm very familiar with it here in Western New York. Um, it's a it's a huge hockey community. I know Pittsburgh is as well. Um, how active are the Penguins in the community in terms of that kind of development out there? And does that give you kind of an inclination as to how that organization is run? Yeah. I Oh, man, Corey, I could not. I, again, I don't want to be a show for the Penguins because my wife. No, that's probably, OK. You're the guest. You can do that. I'll do I'll be the guy who <laughs> says they suck. You can go ahead and be the good guy. No, I was. I, I can tell you, this is a tale of two riches because when I was here at the University of Pittsburgh and when I was in grad school and then when I left and started dating my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, I got to sit through back-to-back Stanley Cup wins by the Penguins, and I hated every minute of it. <laughs> but like with the Steelers, uh, the, the level of obnoxiousness with back-to-back uh, and with Stanley Cups and with Super Bowls, it, it's just I could I could tell you all the fun stories. But now you fast forward. And I'm here, and I got my nine-year-old son, Trey, and he got into hockey because uh, one of his classmates happened to have a pretty decent dad who you and several of my other Buffalo slash Western New York slash Rochester slash all the awesome places friends uh, pointed out to me is a pretty big deal in Mark Recchi. It's and, a fairly uh, big deal. Yeah, I was like, this is Mark, dude, and he keeps giving my son and instructions of hockey. He's like, Mark, what? He's like, Mark Recchi? I don't know. And, yeah, that and that was a fun like, game. Oh, dear God. <laughs> and, and and so uh, Mark uh, and his son, like, inspired Trey to kind of do a go to a, a skating uh, birthday party. And then, lo and behold, it turns out the Penguins have a little Penguins development camp. And one of the things that has developed, I think, in the last five years, in addition to what they do as their base youth development, which has led to some great players and some great opportunities for kids, is that they've also been one of the more socially uh, uh, active and social justice-leaning organizations in the NHL. Uh, they started by having, uh, during Black History Month, We All Matter, they had a, a, a moving, uh, rotating museum dedicated to bl- the first black players and black players in NHL to encourage kids of color to come and join, and, and, and it's not just for the, uh, it's not just for other people. It's not, it's not something that's uh, far away. And so that was the first thing. And so they paid. They gave all sorts of like free equipment and ice time and stuff to the kids, which led to Trey eventually. He's now at RMU, and uh, he's just joined what they call the Willie O'Ree Hockey Academy. Yep. Which was uh, first black hockey player in the NHL. Uh, because of COVID restrictions, Willie couldn't show up to the first session, but it's a year-long course where they're going to spend these nine weeks doing hockey training with the Penns Elite, which is the highest level training you can get because the Penns junior training people, they do hills and all these other workouts based on their age and body type. And then they also do leadership life lessons and get the fellowship with other uh, majority black players and I, I remarked to my wife, this is the first time I've seen this many kids, black kids in particular, playing hockey together. And so now all the different ages have 
a resource and a network that the pens have created for them so that if they do have a hard time, because one of the reasons this was created is the leader of diversity and inclusion for the Penguins and also in the NHL both conversed that they had kids who played. And 9 and 10 was about the age where sometimes when you go on travel teams, people would start using slurs and there start to be identity issues and like, mom, what are they, why are they saying these things? Yep. And so they wanted to create an insulator so that kids knew they had other kids they could talk to about it. Cause you're not always going to tell mom or dad, especially when you have a dad like me, who's going to be like losing his mind if he finds that. And so it's really great that they have this. They have a great time over the next year, not just with the hockey stuff, just getting to hang out together, getting to meet Willie whenever it's safe, getting able to talk. And I think because of that, the Penguins are putting their money where their mouth is. This isn't just something they do during Black History Month. On top of that, Pittsburgh is uh, in many ways similar to Buffalo and, and Rochester, because that family in Rochester, I can speak to this. There are some areas that have been gentrified here in, in Pittsburgh. And one of the places, as things, one of the things that happen in any city with gentrification, places get left behind. Yeah. And so the Penguins are investing in one of those spots and creating a hockey rink that's going to be open for all and allow folks to be trained and allow folks that are particularly black, brown to participate. And it's in the heart of one of those places that was abandoned. Yeah. I mean, hockey for, especially for youth, it's, it can get extraordinarily expensive and difficult to keep up. And a lot, I know I've, I've known a lot of people myself. I, I played youth hockey and I couldn't keep it up anymore simply because it got, we got priced out of it. Yes. And for me, you know, I'm blessed to have to work at a university. My wife's an attorney. You know, I, it's not like we're the war bucks, but because, <laughs> you know, we are a relatively smaller family. And this is something where, you know, I grew up, I was a young guy, I was homeless. You know, now that I have money and I can do these things, and then Trey also has grandparents that are, like, very excited to see him. And so they chip in. So it's really a family thing to keep him in and keep him uh, funded from our end. But then it makes it so much easier when one of the most successful hockey organizations in the NHL is at the forefront of, we want your kid to play. Right. Oh, well, we and have. That, uh... That's what pushed me over the top. And I'm sorry, I know you probably. No, go ahead. I'm... Oh, no, that's what really pushed me over the top to actually become a fan of the Penguins because they want him, even if he gets drafted or even if he never gets drafted, they want him to be as good as he can be in this. And that's something that that level of investment. And that little of, of authentic investment is something that's really emotionally overwhelming for me at times. Yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing it here with the Bills with, you know, they've always had guys who have, you know, worked in the community and worked really hard in the community, done a lot of charity work. Mm-hmm. But you're seeing so many of the guys on the team reach out to all sorts of members of the community. I mean, you know, the Griselda uh, fellas uh, um, and them having a partnership with the Bills and embracing back and forth uh, with the stuff they've been doing. I mean, like, you're you're seeing the Bills kind of follow that model of really getting involved it, out and about in the community to kind of, you know, make people aware that, you know we're we're here and we you know we care obviously the sabers do that too um it's it has such a huge impact on the people who care about the team and who care about the sport and you really do never forget it right like if a team treats you like you're an important person personally like that experience absolutely never leaves you and you that's that's where real loyalty comes from because it's not just about yay they're the local team on TV it's about no it, they seemed like they really cared about me as a human being and i mean it, sometimes it's hard to break through that with sports sports can be pretty brutal sometimes not not just on the field but also in economics 
So to have an experience like that, especially, you know, growing up, you know, as a person of color and especially in a sport that is still trying hard to diversify itself in hockey, like that's, it's a very cool thing to hear. We got time for one more question, Rich. So I want to ask you about wrestling uh, because it's where people can find you and hear you the most right now. If I am going to start watching wrestling, where should I start watching? Because it might not necessarily be the biggest name on television where I should start watching to see the best stuff. Where should I go to see the best stuff? Oh, God. Okay, I'm going to go full nerd. And I'll, I'll do my quick plug. If you go to PWTorch.com or if you find me on Twitter at Ridge underscore fan, F-A-N-N, you can see all of my delightful craziness when it comes to wrestling, football, etc. But I would say if you have an interest in wrestling right now, I would say turn it on. Obviously, you have WWE, which is the hegemon, the number one dog in the yard, so to speak. You have AEW, which is founded by uh, the son of Jaguar's owner, Shad Khan, uh, Tony Khan. And they've, been, they've kind of taken on that role of the number two in North America. I would say check them out. I'd also say, uh, and this is going to be off the beaten path, which is kind of what I do anyway for a lifestyle. I just completely am a weirdo when it comes to things like this. Uh, I would say... Uh, enjoy wrestling. If you if you type in on Twitter or YouTube, uh, enjoy wrestling. It's a promotion based here out of Pittsburgh. It's a very inclusive, all are welcome uh, wrestling promotion that's just started. I think it's wonderful. And I would also say if you search for Stardom Wrestling, it's a women's wrestling promotion in Japan. Uh, it is really one of the most fun things I watch when it comes to pro wrestling uh, because it's not only athletes, it's not only women who are very, like, forceful and direct and, like, they're, they're kicking butt and taking names, but it also can be quite funny. And I always like that mixture because life isn't always serious. Life isn't always kind of loosey-goosey. So if you could find that balance, obviously if language is a barrier, I'd say stick with an AEW or an Enjoy Wrestling, but stardom is the one I would definitely point people to. Rich, thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again soon. Hey, Corey, a pleasure, and hope you all have a wonderful rest of your evening. Rich fan of Pro Wrestling Torch joining us on the West Her Hotline. we got to get to a break. I'm Corey Griswold. It's the Nightcap here on WGR. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.